0: friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Not literally. That's from Julius Caesar. <laughs> no, but for real, uh, it's MC Lars. Thank you for tuning in to the second episode of the MC Lars podcast reboot. This week, as you know, features part two of my interview with MC Front a lot. We talk about the nature of art. We talk about touring. We talk about the creative process. It's a really interesting conversation. And as you many of you know, I love the guy. So, anyway, without much further ado, this is my second part of my interview with MC Frontalot. Peace. This is what I wanted to ask you, Damien. When did you first discover that you could, like, write some great lyrics and start rapping? Did you do music (laughs) before hip-hop
1: or...? Um. Well, let's see. In high school, I went to high school with Gabi, who we mentioned, um, whose birthday it is today. And
0: in, in Berkeley, right where I was born. Berkeley, too.
1: California. You were born in Berkeley?
0: Yeah, Alta Bates.
1: You were born at Alta Bates? Yeah. Half my friends were born at Alta Bates. Where were you born, though? I was born on Geary in San Francisco at a hospital that doesn't exist anymore. Cool. Um, Sorry to interrupt you. I moved to Berkeley. See, my mom, I lived in San Francisco when I was a baby, and then Oakland when I was a larger baby, and I think I was in Albany for a little while, but by the time I started school, I was in, by the time I started kindergarten, I was in Berkeley. Um, And I went to school there until I graduated Berkeley High. But anyway, in Berkeley High, Gobby and I, Gobby was a songwriter. Happy birthday, Gobby. Happy birthday. If he's listening. (laughs) Um, And our friend Ben Block, who's a songwriter... And these guys were like talented musicians, and we always loved, you know, playing guitar and singing. I wrote goofy songs on the guitar. Gabi wrote like intricate songs on keys and, and guitar. You play guitar? Like campfire level. Uh, I didn't know that. I'm also way out of practice. We wrote songs and we put them on four track, and that's my whole like interest in music. Like, I wanted to be a writer, but all of my personal interest in music came from the technology. Like, I was interested in home mm. recording. I was like, enthralled by having a four track. Cause like we were teenagers. We fucking loved music and recording artists and rock stars and rappers. Um, we were big Beatles fans. We loved the stuff that was coming out when we were in high school, which was 88 to 92. Mm-hmm. And those were some like golden fucking years for hip hop hitting nationwide. You had Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Public Enemy, N.W.A., um Dell, the first Dell record mm-hmm. came out when I was in high school. Amazingly, he's like my age. Mm. He might be a year or two older than I am. But um these recordings that you would buy at Tower Records were so precious to you. Plus, yeah. it cost so much yeah. <laughs> to get a CD. You know, they're like 18 dollars which in 1990 dollars is like $42,000 and so it was like hard to get a, get that much money together as a teenager and we would buy these cds and they're very precious to us and like the idea that you could make something that didn't sound like professionally recorded music but it was music yeah it was not just some people sitting around like singing into the little radio shack thing with the two hold down record and play at the same time and it has a little built-in mic which those that sounded worse than you know doing the memo function on your phone of course right now yeah um but four tracks sounded kind of fancy they had a little preamp in them and you could get a microphone and like plug it in like a real microphone and and do different tracks and do like record harmonies and different instruments and get your drummer friend to come do it and like all this shit and we were we made songs including all kinds of songs but we made our own rap songs on uh on the four track and I did that all through college. Also I had all my four track skills. So when I got to college, I jumped into radio where people were, we were still putting together, oh. um, the carts and the PSAs on a, on half inch with a razor blade and tape to edit. Wow. Um, and I was like, Mm-mm, I got a four track. I'm gonna make some fancy PSA's immediately get myself elected to the board of directors as the PSA director. And Correct. if you're on the board of directors, the cause radio station that shits your oyster, man, you can get a like nice time slot. Um, anyway, And 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 I had bands in college, like a a rap project with my friend Al Washington, um, that we called Devil Card. Um, I had actually like there was a good rap band on campus that won the battle of the bands, and got to open the spring fling that Parliament, that P Funk was playing, like George Clinton and a whole fucking busload of P Funk people. Dang, Um, and they played, you know they. Nobody remembers who opened that show because P-Funk was going for four hours, right? But, like, we opened that afternoon's show. I, went, I got to go up for a couple songs with White Boy Drummer, which was the name of the good rap band <laughs> yeah. on campus. Um, they had a white drummer, so they, they called themselves White Boy Drummer. I wonder if that name would fly these days. Anyway. That's cool. I thought for sure that was going to be the highlight of my rap career.
0: Can't get any better than this. <laughs> Uh, Didn't so Lynn Manuel Miranda went to your college, right? Yes, after well, after I did, but, yeah. You know, so you younger and much more accomplished. So you kind of set the stage. I wonder if he, like, <laughs> he, I saw him quote Paul MC Paul Barman the other day on Twitter. Mm. I wonder if he's if he if he knew about the legend legends of that show back then.
1: Doubtful, um, because why would he? And there were rap bands, new rap bands every year because it was a college campus, but um. But I do wonder if he ever accidentally looked up like a Wikipedia page about famous rappers from Wesley and then saw that there is the guy from Das Racist and me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and didn't um, Adam, Adam Gorin go there too, Adam, from Adam's Package? He
1: was there at the same time as I was. I'm pretty sure he dated my uh, next door in the hall uh, neighbor, Jill, when um, she was a freshman. Wow. Or maybe after.
0: So you, you, you met him then, or you just kind of knew who he was? I'm pretty
1: sure that's the same Adam who was always hanging out on my hall with Jill. That's cool, man. I think so. I mean, that guy's name was Adam and looks exactly like Adam from Adam and his
0: <laughs> And he <laughs> went him. And I, he went to college there, so unless he has a twin who also went yeah,
1: there. Yeah, yeah. Um, just wonder if I'm conf- getting the years wrong somehow. But anyway.
0: We could Google it. You know, he's now doing... He's now teaching... Science in Philadelphia.
1: Didn't he just have like a little? Didn't he just have a little show? A
0: little yes, like at, anniversary uh, at, party show at Fest in um, Gainesville, and I got to open. Yeah, that's awesome. That was awesome, and I got to watch his show. And he was always such a big influence on me. Because speaking of like having a compact four track recorder, I always loved that about him. How he was, you know, doing that with punk rock specifically, and like mm-hmm. making like taking care of it all himself. And just the, the thing is, like when you have I found when you have one device in which you put your ideas, the the content and the value of your ideas and your lyrics and like that exercise means so much more because you can't fall back on the fact that it's live music. You know what I mean? Mm. And so, like, it's watching you watching you evolve over the years. It seems like you're, you've always succeeded well with the live band, and but it sounds like you would you would start a lot of the recording and writing by yourself. Is that true? Or what's your process been like? So. At the beginning of an album
1: project, I'll <clears throat> pull one of my one or more of my drummer friends/slash bandmates into, um, like the so the band is three pieces plus me, right? Those do bass, keys, and drums. There's various people who fill in for each other and the or, or swap in and out over the years. So there's like a bunch of people who I think of as my drummer, although at any one point there's usually just <laughs> one drummer on stage. Okay, so I'll grab a couple of drummers. We'll go in the studio, I'll lay down just tons of them improvising or playing beats that they've had in their heads or whatever, right? I'll just track a bunch of shit over metronomes. And then I'll have that as my kind of bank. And I'll chop that up, find the stuff I like, chop it up, start using that as if I were sampling records, right? Which nobody does anymore. It's too expensive. Unless you're MC Lars and you uh, need to negotiate for "The Passenger" by Iggy Pop, um, but most most of
0: us don't embark on such an investment. I was just going to say that was a very fortunate, and we got a good deal on that sample. <laughs> good, glad to hear it. <laughs> um, so I will,
1: I'll do that, and then almost everything else is electronic, like synths coming out of Gabby's keyboard, um, synths coming out of Bad Spellas ideas that he programs in Reason and um, Ableton. And then tons of drum machine programming, essentially, they aren't aren't drum machines anymore, but um, those are also synths. So a lot of programming from Bad Spella. Sometimes I'll work with another DJ for a track, um, but mostly it's me, Gabi, and Bad Spella, and we just work out a bunch of ideas and start hacking them together and start kind of building song shapes. And once I have like a basic... Like, groove for a a chorus and a verse um, for each of these sort of things. Once it's taken that much shape, um, I will just sort of loop those and write and put down some scratch vocals, and then we'll keep refining and and fixing stuff from there until it's like a nice, shiny song um, or I run out of time. Uh, Then the record's like done and we're getting ready for tour and it's like, Oh shit. How are we going to arrange this into something that a three piece sort of funk funk band can play? Mm. And that's always the question. And luckily I have worked over the years with such fantastic musicians that they always make short work of it. And they're like, Oh, well we could do this or we could do that. Or I know what we're going to do. And then it's like, boom. Yeah. They, They will vibe off each other, discuss it amongst themselves as competent instrument players (laughs) and work up great arrangements and I will just sort of lean on their glory. I mean, once in a while they'll be going in a direction that doesn't work for me, but it's really rare that that I'm directing them at all.
0: So it's been rare that you've performed with just a track, right? I've only maybe seen you do that once or twice. I
1: try not to do that just because I much prefer to um, not have to kind of vouch for every eye in the audience, you know? Like, I don't want... I want all that responsibility. Yeah. I want to go like hide my head in the corner for a minute and catch my breath if I need. And like you guys can watch Ken fucking boogieing while he does a keyboard solo or whatever. I especially love that I can like forget how the next verse starts for a quarter of a second and not ruin the song. The mm. band can just take it for four bars, you know. Yeah. Um but uh but yeah, you know, when I when I have to, I will perform solo. And when I can't uh, stand to perform solo, but I can't bring the whole band. I will bring a drummer and we'll we'll do it with all the rest of the tracks on the on the laptop and that's fine too that's I think yeah. that's a step up from the from me by myself. Most rappers are happy to and good at commanding all the attention in the room all by themselves um, and I love that I wish I were in that category, but I've never I've never felt that way.
0: I think the new rappers, a lot of things they do, I found it's like, you know, like my tracks, if I have tracks, it will just be like the hype vocals, like the TV track, where it's just like the chorus and then me backing up myself on the track. Uh-huh. The, the trend now I've seen with young rappers is they just play the track, man. And they're just rapping and saying different words over like the, their Spotify playlist.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah. That's like a classic um, boring rapper move. To like just put your CD on and yeah. rap over it, and oh, there's twice as many vocals as supposed to be, or maybe slightly less because you're not actually rapping the whole thing all the way through. I'm not actually totally confident you know all the words to your song. Um, that's a tradition. That's traditional. That's, that's not a new been, thing. We've been seeing bad rap performances do exactly that forever, haven't we? I, I feel like I, I guess, have.
0: but now it's like it's like nobody bats an eye. I feel like no. I just feel like with the SoundCloud generation, which I think is you know doing creative amazing stuff but i think that like like kids have said to me like your 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 vocals aren't so strong like i'm used to hearing the whole track behind you Uh. i'm like oh what like what am i doing wrong because (laughs) it's like with that generation it's so much about the intricacies of like the little vocal nuances you know what i mean and like yeah yeah the "Er, earth like Er, weird uh, weird sounds making
1: making funny 1960s computer noises with your mouth (laughs) that kind of stuff that's your chorus Beep beep beep
0: beep 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 beep. That's it, your album's done now. You just finished What's it. that
1: chorus? That's... Gucci 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 Gucci. Go- Gucci Gang, Gucci Gucci, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang, Gucci Gang. Yeah. that's
0: the number one song. <laughs> man. Can
1: we talk about the young SoundCloud rappers' aesthetic? Um
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. i, one, don't, I they don't all want want have
1: to... they all have clown hair. And they will be in their video with yeah. hell of dudes who look like they are from a rap video out of time and place. they could It could be any time in the last 20 years. They're wearing a sports jersey top and some jeans and uh-huh. they're showing about two inches of underwear and they're like, you know, being tough dudes or whatever. They're like posing and waving some cash around or whatever. Maybe you got a firearm. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And you're like on a stoop or like a, a street corner and you're like dancing to the camera and it is has been exactly the same shot in exactly the same rap video forever. Uh-huh. except now, the dude who's rapping has clown hair. He looks like a raggedy Andy doll that went to an Easter egg dying party, and he's got like all this he's got clown hair, and sometimes he's got elf
0: ears. Sometimes face, always face tattoos.
1: That shit is nuts. Yeah. Clown hair and elf ears. Where did that come from? <laughs> Why is that the trend? I'm so happy about that. And I love that they're just in the middle of all the like absolutely traditional looking backup like extras for your rap video. All your buddies (laughs) look just like they always looked, but you look like a fucking Martian. It's
0: awesome. (laughs) I love that. Well, I think that's that can be attributed to the fact that like, if you have Instagram or like, it's all about how you look, you know, if you're like shocking and colorful, people are like, oh, click. It's all about the the visual metrics. They're a thumbnail of themselves. Yeah. So you have to be like, you have to be, and I think you've succeeded at this because you've always been like the non-traditional, you don't, like people say, you don't look like a rapper back when you started. And like, but, but it's always about having your, it's having your brand be a visual thing. And if you could do that now, and like, if you can really commit to a face tattoo and like, Why do they all look...
1: Why do they all have the same clown hair, though? I guess one of them did it and got hot, and then everyone was like, that's just the way rappers look now? Yeah,
0: Tension was one of the first guys to do that style. Huh. And then... He's the one with the elf ears, isn't he? I don't know. There's more than one with elf ears.
1: Maybe it's a generation. It is so funny to me. Because that is dorky as fuck to go in public with elf ears. So you're saying they put on, like, fake ears? Yes! Elf ear? You haven't noticed. I was just
0: kind of going along with it, but I don't really know. I don't. I can't think of specifically ever seeing it. Oh
1: man, I wish I knew which one I was thinking of. Who had the elf ears? Have to Google it later. Where's the elf ears? It's hard because they literally all have the same clown hair. Yeah, these dudes.
0: But um, you know, it's like they are really prolific and really hardworking. And I think the the challenge for us is as we get older, is to like, you know, you don't. You never want to be like, oh, these kids today. Back when I was young.
1: Two thirds of them are going to die unfortunately from heroin overdoses. You right. can tell by the way they rap like literally all of them are
0: opiate addicts well that's that 's another element right and
1: they 're taking pills, I assume, and not like traditional heroin but yeah. like they', it's...
0: they all going to like you remember
1: Bob Dylan and Perry Farrell and fucking William Perkling. S. Burroughs, like you have that
0: heroin talk. Yeah.
1: But that's what mumble rap is. Did it's have, just heroin voice.
0: Did you ever listen to Lil Peep, the dude who died in Arizona last year? I did not. His, I always liked his style because he sang, you know? Oh, yeah. He was like singing over this stuff and it was like like beautiful voice. But yeah, like that's another thing about that's the, the oxy epidemic. You know what I mean? That's like, you hear that in hip hop, and that's as old people, that's sad because we remember a time when that wasn't so present, you know?
1: It was, yeah, it was not. <laughs> if at all. It was not super trendy in our lifetimes to be on heroin, I think, um, until <laughs> like the last seven or eight years. Because there's a lot of pain, right? I mean, there's a lot of. I, it just kills you at a really startling rate. And so, like, you know, there's generally a prohibition on that, but that makes you cool if you're living right. dangerously. So, like, of course, young rock stars. I mean, there was there was a big heroin moment in the early '70s, right? Late '60s, early '70s, and like rock mm. stars were always on heroin, and like that was cool. They're gonna live forever. It would let them do the thing that's like makes them almost certain to
0: die, and then a lot of them died. Yeah, um, and I think that's the, that was the whole thing with Little People. Was like, well. His his agent or someone I I don't want to misquote but they said I've been waiting for this call for like for a year you know mm. and that you can't enable your artists if you know your artist is to popping those pills and it's glorified in the culture
1: if you that's know? you know if you're if rapping about drug abuse is going to sell records then your management is not going to counsel you against it exactly <laughs> it's not going to happen buddy that's what uh, that's the devil's bargain that you made having an agent.
0: Well, speaking of good reasons not to have an agent or a manager, I remember something you said, like, I think you said it in Columbus on our tour. You said, "People, so many people are coming to see us. And, and I was like, what is with this? What's with this, Damien? And you were like, if you exist in a subculture that never is concerned with being cool, it's never going to go out of fashion. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. And that's like,
1: that's such a cynical calculation, but it's real. And honestly, <laughs> I kind of modeled that originally on one of my idols, Tom Waits, because he like, In the 1980s, when you were a glimmer in your daddy's fishbowl, or whatever the expression is, (laughs) um, and I was a little elementary school kid, these, all the records sounded the same. And I mean, no, there was a great variety of records, and there were different genres that were popular, but in every radio record that wasn't a rap record, um, and really, you know, in the 80s, outside of, like I think, New York, rap didn't get onto the radio. So, like in all radio records in the 80s, the snare is like has all this like fucking reverb on it, Mm -hmm. sounds like it's in a stadium, and the kick is like this, this like it's this top heavy, tinny kind of thump that makes me irritated. But only if I listen to it like that. If I just listen to the song, I love it because it brings me back to way back when. But my point is, you can listen to almost any pop recording and tell whether or not it is from 1981 to 1988 just based on how the drum is produced, drum is mixed, like what effects are on that snare. They all sounded the same. And that was the trend in pop music production and that was how all those fucking records sounded and also the synths are pretty easy to like pick out by era because that was like a moment when sort of the when like electronic synths exploded and all the bands were using them. Yeah. So like 80s records, so easy to pick out. And over the course of that decade, Tom Waits made these like five or six records that you could not put in any era. Like they, they could have come from so many different times in American music, and it's not because he's doing like genre pastiche from different decades, different earlier decades. Although he does some like folk and jazz stuff, it's um, particularly like that run: Swordfish Trombone, Frank's Wild Years, uh, Rain Dogs, and Bone Machine. Those records are just like so just different and new. And they are made of like a bunch of familiar elements, but they're so like kind of off kilter. They, they will never sound dated to my ear. I don't mm-hmm. I'm a kind of a fanboy, but they will never sound dated to my ear. And they sound so different than everything else that came out in the 80s, except for one song. His, the original recording of Downtown Train off of, off of Rain Dogs is like a legit of that year pop production. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like an 80s song. And you're like, it stands way the fuck out from all his catalogs. It catalog.
0: was the one A&R was excited yeah, about. Yeah, I
1: think the record company was yeah. probably like, listen, could we like, could we have our guy mix one of these things, yeah. please? Just, Tom, every year you do this to us and we can't sell any records! Please do, help me out! Um, and he's like, all right, I'll give you downtown train. I don't care for that one anyway. But... um. <laughs> pretty good good impression which then rod stewart had a hit with later but he covered covered it it? yeah oh wow um but anyway but anyway that was my model i think going into hip-hop i was like i could try to make a record that sounds like a legit hip-hop record in a way that's familiar to your ear um just like right now i could try to make something i could probably pretty easily make something that sounds like one of these fruity loops soundcloud rappers boring ass grooves but, in most cases, uh, with stuff that's popular on radio, like I would not be able to emulate it exactly. It wouldn't sound quite right. It would sound like someone trying and not quite pulling it off because they don't have the expertise and they don't have the money to buy the expertise. yeah, and so I would have sort of slightly failed on that front. plus it would sound dated in the year. like what if I just actively ignore those urges, the urges to like emulate the thing that sounds cool because you know the stuff that's trendy sounds cool to everyone's ear including mine it's like oh yeah that sounds new and fresh even though i've like heard it 50 times from 50 different artists weirdly that sounds like very now right now yeah you know seven years ago it would have been dubstep or whatever it's like oh that sounds like that sounds futuristic right now but wait a minute like two years from now it's gonna be in car commercials what's my record gonna sound like then yeah it's gonna sound like something that should be in a car commercial you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I think, from, you know, for my style, I've always, like, done a little more, like, parody or, like, connecting to other genres or, like, referencing certain things. And, like, you know, like, my crunk song definitely mm-hmm. is dated now and definitely is, like, problematic because it, it runs the risk of being parody in a way that's, like, I don't know. It feels like... It's, like, if you emulate something... And and you're doing it in a way that's mm, not perfect. It's disrespectful, maybe I found potentially right. Yeah, Yeah. and so it's like so you're saying that like Tom Waits, you you wanted to build your own style and your own sound. You weren't trying to be hip hop in a specific way. But I would also argue that you have like De La Soul influences and like a lot of like like old school golden era hip hop.
1: I think a lot of my stuff probably sounds like early '90s hip hop in some way, just because that's you know how I cut my teeth as a listener, and that'll just always be what. I naturally kind of am drawn toward as I'm as a producer. Um, So yeah, it's not like I will ever lay claim to a a vision of my own music or to have transcended space and time. Like I wanted to right? but, um, but I, but that has always, if I ever feel like myself trying to do the thing that I heard recently, I will stop myself and remind myself to try and do the opposite. That's cool. And it's not, and it's not to be cool, but it's just to like save myself from, the like ravages of fucking time marching onward, which is, is inevitably is going to do.
0: And it works when you are able to then also like you've had, you have themes that are like old school, like it's pitch dark. That's the name of the song, right? Yeah, It's like you, t- you talk about that old school game, which people remember, right? It's, it's always yeah. nostalgic. I
1: mean, there's one, there's one in particular called Zork, um, but it's that, yeah, that song is about that whole, Kind of game where there was no yeah. graphics and you were just kind of in an interactive story with the writer, like typing what you do, and then the game tells you what happens.
0: So, next thing, and this I want to talk about this for a second, then we'll wrap up about what's going on for the rest of the year for you. I want to talk about that moment when you've talked about this in a million interviews when you first coined what's the word, do of nerdcore and hardcore. <laughs> well you created nerd core as a genre name like that moment you talk about you were i here's a story as i remember you telling a million times you're wrapping into your computer you had a mic yeah. set up you yeah. had a boba fett action figure on your monitor and you're like i'm a, hard- a yoda yoda okay you tell you tell it am i kind of <laughs> on the right path you saw your star wars figure and you're like i'm fronting and i'm i'm a nerdy guy and i'm hardcore hmm, this is almost like this could be considered i core. did
1: definitely have star wars toys in that room i Okay. I would probably made up the part where I was looking at them when I came up with it. They were definitely like I was surrounded by my normal just nerd bullshit that I like to surround myself with.
0: Cause and what it year comforts was
1: this? Me. Um, this is the first half of two thousand. Mm, okay. So i had I had been thrilled as a four track user. I was just talking with Creative Mindframe about this at the PAX booth the other day about. Like he's thirty years old and he couldn't believe the struggle we used to do to try and make anything with a four track. I was telling him how it works and he was just like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's how we used to do it. And then I'd been doing, I'd been working in the computer, but it was like you would pull up a track and then you would mix paste with another thing. So I was like, take my old four track stuff bring it in like a track at a time and then try and like and i had new effects right in the computer audio station i could like mess with and then but it was like guess and check you know And you're like stepping backwards and taking the files again being like okay okay i'll try the reverb a little different and then i'll mix paste them together and
0: it was so you couldn't monitor it it was was also terrible yeah there was
1: there was not multi-tracking right yeah and then All of a sudden, like the new version of Cool Edit Pro came out, and that was the first time I saw some software that, like, you were able to do this stuff with offboard hardware and Pro Tools prior to that, but this was the first time that you and your, like, semi pro grade sound card and Cool Edit Pro, which I'll admit in my early 20s, I was just pirating, Um, you could take these things that you already had and have suddenly a CD quality multi-track studio. And that was like, holy shit. There wasn't inline effects yet. You were still doing a lot of kind of stepping and guess and checking with, while applying effects. Um, but you could like mute that one and try it again and then A, B those. And like, like, they were all in, all your tracks were in the mix with their volume levels and pans and stuff.
0: Was there like latency when you tracked to like a drum or something or was it pretty instant? Um,
1: there was, it's funny, the cards kind of worked better in terms of latency than they do these days, but wow. they were, uh, cause they would go straight into your PCI bus on your motherboard, but, um, they were much worse at knowing what their own latency was and automatically, like you don't have to, you no longer have to measure latency. Right. Um, back then I had to point a mic at the speaker, um, play one track record it and see what the exact offset was run that about 50 times to make sure I was getting like a solid consistency and then go in uh somewhere in cool edit I think there was like you could do it like by number of samples and tell it exactly how much to offset all incoming recording from that card
0: and then that would your that and then that
1: would that would automatically from then on like once you had it perfectly measured and you told it what it was then it would automatically like deal with it from then on. Cool. Um, now it just works like it, <laughs> the hardware has figured out how to tell what it's, it, I assume it has, it's just syncing up a couple of different clocks so that it can put the, put everything back together, um, as it comes in. But anyway,
0: where were we? So you're not. Oh, okay. So moment. multi-tracking
1: yeah. works, right? Yeah. All of a sudden. And I was so excited. Um, and like that night I made a rap song called speed queen. Um,
0: and is that, is that on the first record?
1: It's not on a record. Okay. Uh, it's, an, there's an old demo of it. I took, I just, I was like going through my CD folder. I was like, what am I gonna, cause I couldn't, I'd been doing, I'd been doing like recording all through college and all that four track stuff and all kinds of genre stuff. Um, because we would write these rock musicals, which were actually like not just rock and roll. There were tons of genres, a lot of pastiche stuff. Um, But we would write these and perform them in the summers, Gabi and I and a bunch of other folks we knew from the East Bay. So who knows what I would have recorded if it were the middle of the day and some other friends were available. But it was like nighttime. There was nobody else to work with. Nobody would play any instruments for me. So I'm like, well, I'm going to make a hip-hop track with samples. So I'm like going through my CD thing. I pull out like the Louis Prima and the Fiona Apple for uh, Buona Sarah and Sleep to Dream. I thought those were thematically related. So I wrote a song about um, methamphetamine and not sleeping um, over those two samples, and I like, hacked it all together and made the first rap song I had made. And I went on vacation right after that in the Middle East, and I was coming down mount sinai smoking this terrible joint that these coptic christians had sold me down at the youth hostel i was like i shall not front a little because i'm front a lot i climbed mount sinai and got high at the top um (laughs) oh wow i thought that was so that was like that was when i decided i would use the name mc front a lot so what say the line one more time if you don't mind I shall not front a little, because I'm front a lot. I uh-huh. climbed Mount Sinai and got high at the top.
0: So you named yourself in that track? I
1: started that using that name in that track. I think I had a photograph that my friend Robin Ganellis had taken of me rapping with one of Gobby's bands in like a, at Blake's, maybe, and on Telegraph in yeah, Berkeley. Of course. Um, yeah. Like w- Maybe a year earlier, and I had taken a whiteout pen, and ri- I thought I looked like a douche in the picture and I'd written MC Frontalot's Raptacular Hip Hop Fun Fest on the photograph in whiteout pen as an insult to myself. Um, <laughs> but then I remembered that as I was smoking pot walking down this mountain and where, isn't the that- ten, where the Ten Commandments had come from. Yeah, I was going
0: to say, that's like a, that's very poetic. That's, I didn't yeah, realize that's
1: that. Um, that's a, a, my one pot smoking song. <laughs> a nod to the 90s which were then over. So I Recorded that song when I got home. So that was probably January, February of 2000. I think I did one more song where I called myself MC Front a lot. And then I think the fourth one was Nerdcore Hip Hop. So I'm like, oh, I'm like, it was fun. I kept doing it. And I was like, I am making raps by myself into my computer. And I'm interested in this because I'm like psyched about my Delta 1010 sound card mm-hmm. more than I am psyched about like my ability to rap or make beats. Right. I'm like fascinated with my ability to like simulate what professional music sounds like and what professional musicians sound like using my computer skills. Like that's fucking dorky. That's not why people do this. So I'm going to c- call it nerdcore hip hop just for the course of one song but as soon as i finished the song i was like that's a that's clearly going to be a salient bit of cultural nonsense i bet i should just keep using that and have it be yeah. my brand cuz i was cuz the job i was doing back then was like ha- Like, we would have branding meetings and shit. Like, I was writing ad banners and contests for websites. It was the first dot-com bubble. Yeah. And there was all this money flying around in San Francisco, and I was, like, soaking it up. I would smoke pot and hang out in the dog park all day in Debo's Triangle and, like, write ad banner jokes for, like, 75 bucks an hour. Like, that was my job. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But then that left me plenty of time to, like, make raps. So, like, I had a little branding meeting with myself, and I'm, like, I'm going to keep saying, I'm going to keep, Keep this nerd theme. Because um, that's me. Like,
0: so now suddenly. And that was the Bay Area then, too. I mean, yeah. nerd to be. I, it,
1: it was like, it was great to be a nerd right then. Because, like, the money was flying out of, like, all of the fucking communication managers from Waukegan were coming into town and getting plenty of jobs. But if you were at all nerdy and knew how to use any kind of software, advanced software proficiently, you definitely were going to have a fancy ass job during the first dot-com bubble.
0: It's interesting because Soul from Anticon, I think I remember here, like when I talked to him, he moved f- to the Bay Area and he was um, doing something similar, like doing web design or something. But at night, he was starting and running Anticon and it would have been like the That's same That's way more era.
1: ambitious. See, he was thinking of himself as a musician. I was thinking of myself as a home and in- recording enthusiast.
0: Who liked poetry, who liked rap. Yeah, oh,
1: I loved writing and yeah. of course I loved rap music. And you were an
0: English um, major too, right? yeah.
1: yeah. And I didn't think, I didn't think anyone would want to hear me or think of me as a real musician. I made this web page where, like, the joke was I'm concealing my identity from everyone. Like, there was a photo gallery of other rappers, like famous rappers, with their faces blurred out. You know, like Eminem and Biggie Smalls, and
0: uh, oh, you're almost like MC Hawking. like this. Who is this person? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you
1: know, he and I hooked up real early in this process, like 2001, 2002. And isn't
0: he on Nerdcore Rising? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Because he was doing something very similar. It was like he had a, it was it was a project more than like an idea of a a music career. Um, Yeah. But like you know, I had control over some web servers, and
0: (laughs) you bought the domain. I
1: was I put the songs up, um, and Penny Arcade noticed them, and eventually the fan base developed to the point where. I got rid of my web clients and
0: and here we have are fans
1: instead. I tell you always, I tell everyone, it's better to have fans than clients. Highly recommend it
0: because they are more actively waiting; they're more passionate. So you
1: don't have to have phone meetings with them where they tell you to change everything that you just worked on all night.
0: Well, that's if your fa- <laughs> if your fans are if you if you have major label fans, you know. That's like that's that's you have to put up with a lot of that and you have the gamble of I whether it's going to work. Or that's not.
1: true. I think you're right.
0: I think one of the things you said that's interesting is like the technology is what drove you and inspired you and made you realize you could do this. And I think when we look at the history of hip hop, like Cool Herc with the breakbeat and like 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 grand wizard Theodore and scratching and moving on with like sampling technology mm-hmm. hip hop every moment in hip hop has been about some artistic person being fascinated with the technology that's very true and i think that's like in a way that then connects with that tradition and where you were in 20 years ago in the, in the times frame of things like till now i think it's just real cool that like people took advantage took notice and you took advantage of that moment and it was like when did you first realize like when did you first realize that oh shoot I'm recognized I get recognized in public? <laughs> when did that happen? Um, cuz I've been with this guy with you many times and it's happened. Right. It's funny it doesn't happen
1: that much anymore cuz I've been slowed down so much but um when the the height of that was probably when the movie was playing around in like Nagin so this woman Nagin Farsad directed a feature doc about me and my band, when we went on our first tour in 2006. And that came out in 2008. Um, and it played at the film festival in South By. And then she kind of toured it around the country and played it at art houses for like short, short engagements.
0: And it ended up on Netflix for and a long time. And then it was on
1: time. Netflix for a long time. Yeah. And I was touring um, fairly often around then 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, and I was like, you know, I had like a commercial on G Four. As did you. Um, like that was the most my face was kind of out there. And there were a lot of there I was a lot particularly of press. from the yeah. And there was a lot of press. It was before Magazine press. It was before like the thing that everyone now like understands perfectly well, where like nerd culture bullshit is just top money pop culture stuff, like the Marvel, the superhero movies, and the... I mean, Lord of the Rings, for God's sake. There's a Star Wars every year.
0: Ready Player One, right?
1: Right. So, like, nerd culture stuff is no longer remarkable or interesting in and of itself. Like, someone having an idea to do something specifically and intentionally situated inside of nerd culture that previously hadn't been raises zero eyebrows, and no, no competent press person on earth would approach that as though it were a fascinating new idea that they had a scoop about. Right. But in the mid aughts the opposite was true. Like, every journalist who heard about it was like, what? Oh my God, I could write a low-effort piece about that and immediately get it past my editor and fucking go to Cabo for the weekend or what, I don't know what journalists used to do back when print journalism paid money, but there, it was really easy to get covered
0: for a while. Because it was surpri- a surprising headline. nerd It just rapping? sounded like a good idea,
1: yeah, yeah, to people. They're like, oh, nerdcore hip-hop. Oh, I get it. Love that. Oh, I understand it. You've said it. As soon as you said it, I understood it, therefore it will be easy to write my article about it, and no one will be confused. And they
0: ran a, <laughs> ran a picture of you looking like, just, uh, just looking like you do handsome and, and unique, but like it's, like it's like automatically a surprising thing.
1: The, um, so anyway, yeah, that wore off because, ironically, the whole culture shaped itself around nerdcore.
0: <laughs> why, why do you think that happened? Just because technology got so fast? Because, I mean, her weird, weird Al talks about why white and nerdy was such a big hit for him is because when everyone started to realize that the nerd culture was something cool. Yeah. But, but, like, how did it go the, from... To
1: replace cool with profitable, I think, sure. is about it. Like, blame Sam Raimi, who... And I was a horror movie nerd in seventh grade, eighth grade. And he made the movie He Did you do was, Spider-Man too. It, he yeah. did Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2. And Spider Man three, and when Spider Man made a zillion dollars, that was when the whole movie industry was like, "Wait a minute, we're gonna focus all of our big guns on superheroes and see if we can like ride this trend for two years or whatever." But then yeah. it just never went away, right? Um, and then Disney bought Star Wars and was like, "Oh, you know, it's a. I feel like six of these movies every two and a half decades is not fast enough. We're gonna put one out every year, right? Um, and." Let's, uh, while we're at it, let's have another like 12 to 13 hours of Hobbit movies. And, you know, let's, let's have nine different Marvel properties on TV. And ironically, I think comic books themselves are no more popular than they've ever been. Um, they did it, not yeah. get swept up into the huge money machine. But TV and movies, which is the meat of our culture... Um, and
0: ga- I guess games based on these properties too.
1: And of course, games, gaming. I'll tell you, when phones came out, is when gaming leapt out of the just nerdy yeah part of our culture and into everybody's pocket. And it things that like the the snobby and shitheady game gamers like uh, you know despise, like um, the casual games, but that turned everybody into a video game aficionado, right? Like Candy Crush is a video game. You yeah. turn your nose up at it. But it's a video game. Yeah. Those people are gamers and they are gaming. Um, and you know, the person playing poker obsessively is a gamer and he's gaming. Nobody's ever argued with that. He doesn't even have a little piece of electronics involved.
0: Um, You're Candy, saying like on Candy the card Candy Crush table. is gambling is what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> yeah.
1: But um. yeah, on a, on a card table. So
0: this so the culture has j- just shifted but like you were a maverick and on, on the front of the I was wave.
1: A li- I was lucky to be a little ahead of the curve on that, I guess.
0: Yeah. And I feel that way too, like in in that we were different scenes, but when we met, we're both like, oh, we, we both have this authentic love for, for music and rap. And we're both willing to get in a van and put up with each other <laughs> and for nine weeks and drive all over the country and slang shirts. So we did that song about how like, we're really in the, the in the t-shirt business.
1: Yes. Lamenting the <laughs> fact that we have to be good at being t shirt salesman when we wish we could just be good at <laughs> rapping.
0: Well, now we're good at podcasting. Well you always have it. <laughs> <that.
1: laughs> I'm okay at being on people's podcasts. I've never had one of my own.
0: Well, it's uh, it's always the bridesmaid. <laughs> you've got an album to make and on that, um any plans for the rest of the year? I'm sure you got you're doing packs. Uh before that even
1: I'm going on Joe Co cruise. Oh yeah, cool. Um in February, if uh If you, the listener, have a huge amount of money and intended already to spend it on a lavish vacation at sea, you should definitely decide to come on this nerd cruise and and pick that one. All other cruises, as far as I can tell, are just stupid. But this one's fun. (laughs) That does sound cool. Full of comedians and musicians, uh, all of whom are dorky. And Jonathan Colton, of course, the headliner of it. Um, Then I've got I don't know, South By probably, pretty sure. Uh, hopefully I can get to do some more. Paxes. Paxes are like way more fun when I have a new album and people are coming to my booth on a regular basis. No, I feel you. No sitting around trying to bark them down middle of the afternoon lull. Um, what else? Oh, I'm going to Anchorage.
0: Oh, cool. Where, where are you playing there? I can't remember the name of
1: the festival. I think it has the word nerd in it. Cool. They do comedy and music. In fact, maybe you know, because I think they brought you up for it.
0: Is it is very Coop's? Is Sarah Peterson the agent?
1: Probably, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, I did. I played it with Chris a few years ago, and then I did it myself last year. It's pretty great. They're yeah. awesome up there, man. Sweet. And, they, and I've never been to that state. I Shout out to Alaska, and I've, all the people who've supported and loved the nerd rap over the years up there. You'll have fun. And and try to, like, if you can, try to see if they can take you. Like, if you go a little bit north of the city or, like, instantly in the wilderness, Ooh. it's gorgeous. Have you ever been on a helicopter, Andrew? Uh, no. Me neither. That do you w- think
1: I could take, a, like, one of those? Actually,
0: I have, and I did it in Alaska. Actually, it was a uh, bi- a water plane. A biplane? You know, a biplane. A biplane through the on mountains. The water. On the water. Okay, okay sweet. Sick. Should
1: I do that instead of the helicopter ride through the mountains?
0: Uh, yeah. That would be tight. Okay. I know you can do it. They, they t- there's some that... I, I was in Homer, I did a TEDx talk there, and we did a tour around, it's called uh, the Harding Ice Field, it was called Gruen Glacier, but like, you can just, just pay, and then, and they'll take you up, and it's really fun. So you should do that, have fun in Alaska. Thank
1: you. Proud I'm of you, gonna, man. And then I also, I want to get on the road, you hmm, know, one that more, sounds one cool more time before my knees completely go.
0: So uh, you are, what are you doing in the fall, like, maybe do some shows, or I don't know, or. Yeah, you want to go? Maybe do like a big long run this fall. Maybe we can talk to Schaefer and Rahim, see what they're thinking.
1: Yeah, because we got to get rid of the remaining shirts that have all four of our
0: heads on them in a fucking uh, full circle. <laughs> we didn't do we didn't do the West Coast. We didn't do the Midwest. So there's we some didn't do cities. Shit, we yeah. played
1: <laughs> we played nine
0: shows. I'm trying to do in nine nights, and then we stopped as though we had fulfilled our obligation to well, touring. A test we had not. I'm trying. I want to do. I want to do like five or s- five or six weeks this this fall but i want to break them up you know what i mean sounds great to me and like and i think we could figure out anyway this is this is an exclusive but um schaefer scene down i gotta talk to Raheem, see what he's up to he and i finished a record and we're trying to like figure out how we're gonna put it out and promote it and um yeah i mean i think that i think it would be really cool so all right, i well, will all announce and we'll, we'll discuss what we can do but that'll be tight
1: sweet all right you heard it here first kids
0: um and do you, what's the new record called or or do you want to wait? The new record's called that? Internet Sucks. <laughs> um
1: I'll, you can play the rough 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 draft of the title track right now on your podcast if you want. Oh, that would be an honor. All right.
0: All right, we're going to we'll we'll end with this Damien's uh demo. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. Thanks for your time and thanks uh, for having me. We'll see you on the road. Peace. Peace.
1: You to,
2: to a priest? Sometimes I wish I loved you Sometimes I don't know what to do Sometimes I wish I loved you Sometimes I don't know what to do Times. I look
1: back on our earliest love affairs I had so many hairs and you were made of everyone everywhere or so I imagined actually just a bunch of me types typing into mud games geeking on the weeknights hunting drug recipe text files with a gopher client you're supposed to be studying oh no but you're so defiant it was giant Usenet net porn over the Silent internet was precious to me And it remains so But it isn't like in the early days The achy pains grow ever more insistent They get inside my melon They tell me pretty subtly I mean, besides the yelling That I don't love you anymore Internet, you used to be a safe home a friendly button that fills my heart with gladness. And stop pressing the one that posts your unrelenting whackness. Yeah, I know how to mute an unfriend, even got some practice. But how exactly is one supposed to mute the fact that a tenth of our netizens went offered the dance to shit on anything, pull down pants without hesitance, without any sense of justice, pathos, kindness, or decency. Now, having to listen to assholes, half of what Seems to be this isn't brand new Some people always suck More trolls per capita Probably 1989 computer. But these days Like all the worst people on earth Formed a club just to light Ugliness up and take one drag And proceed to stub it out in my eye By way of my once beloved internet Could a solution lurk?
0: surprise we are going on the road we actually did this podcast before we had our tour planned so that's pretty tight you can come see us this october for tour dates and tickets check out nerdcoretour.com baby and uh i wanted to end with the last week i ended with og original gamer i wanted to end with another collab this was a remix of a song i did for Frenelat's album uh Captains of Industry and then I redid it for my Indie Rocket Science mixtape over the Wiz Khalifa black and yellow beat so this became black and yellow t-shirts thank you all for listening mclars.com patreon.com slash mclars for new music and uh, we'll see you next week we've got Schaefer the Dark Lord
2: hey Lars how do you make any money if you give away your mixtape for free I'm really glad you asked Ollie we've got t-shirts there black and yellow black and yellow black and yellow black and yellow uh huh know what they are. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. My boyfriend is always managing his vocal takes, playing up his nerd persona every day he integrates. You wanna hear a rap about a game from 82? Good news. Emcee Finalized Got songs for you. For the rhymes that he drops. Pretty hot. Make him rock with the style he concocts. Nerdcore. Hip hop. Flashlight on his head. Cause homeboy went and started it. Grabbing your allowances. He knows how to market it. My man Lars has got the talent and he flaunts it and he drops. That hits every 100th concept The
1: onset of his rapping is blunt It beats you up in the manner that he called post punk You know the fans can't get enough Always holler for more Think they're even louder than they were before The previous encore Just hope they let him off stage soon Vital business in the back Where the
2: hoodies are strewn Come on Yeah, bro, we got t-shirts And they're Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow Yeah, dude Green and purple, green and purple, green and purple, green and purple. This is Indie, Rocket Science, and it's Horace Records, Horace Records, Horace Records, Horus Records. Good luck chasing royalties, Mr. Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa. you try to sell music. They look at you funny, it's not a transaction that necessitates money Not with
1: the true cunning of the kids in the know. But you look at them cheering, notice what they don't sew Don't go to the print shop and silk screen their own Yet they're always needing something to cover the torso That's why MC bars and I provide a product Set atop high
2: fashion inventory You got it, costume glasses, mouth pads, robot USBs, captains, are we? Of what? Industry, Rockefeller, Adam Smith, Rockefeller just like this Rock a crowd of ratty kids. So front all I tell me this, is it all about the Washingtons or all about the art? Indie rap, we're into that, following our hearts. But part of the job, I mean the other part from Karen, is taking t-shirt money like we're modern robber Barons. Yeah bro, we got t-shirts, and they're black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Yeah dude, different colors, such as white and orange, white and orange, white and orange, white and orange. White and this orange. is indie records, Iris records, Iris records, Iris records Wait every drop ship
1: price every line screen density designs are precise.
2: Cotton woven so nice blind eyes to child labor you as the consumer are the lucky money saver. Can we savor all your savvy as it leads you to our wares. Up in the gilded age of Peakery. we so sneakily prepare this foolproof method of making just the shirts you want. With my top hat and my monocle and your money I have gone. You see Horace Wreckers harvesting the forest near your home for the paper in the liner notes of every disc you own. You should have known that our sweatshirts were pure babies seal, go ahead and treat yourself, you love the way it feels, the appeals of the audience, get back on stage, where you at, about the merch booth, trying to get paid, got a hundred people covered, Will their arms stay bare, the only way, we get to do it, check and the logos, logos they, they wear. wear, because, guess what, at the merch booth, we got, shirts and hoodies, shirts and hoodies, shirts and hoodies, shirts and hoodies, please stop, come and buy stuff, we need, health insurance, health insurance, health insurance, health insurance, this is indeed, rocket science. Horace Records, Horace Records, Horace Records, Horace Records Apologies for ruining your track, Mr. Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa, Wiz Khalifa My man Lars is in the t-shirt business My boyfriend is in the t-shirt business Look at us, we're in the t-shirt business I thought we were musicians, what is this? MC Lars is in the t-shirt business Front Alive is in the t-shirt business Both of us are in the t-shirt business